Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. If you had to guess the number of marriages that end in divorce, what number would you pick? 50%? More? Less? When I hit the Google to figure this out, I was surprised to learn that in the US, divorce is actually on the decline and hit a 50-year low right before COVID rolled into town. The divorce rate now hovers around 39%, but percents and numbers mean nothing when you're examining your own marriage or partnership. The only number that most of us care about is whether we're dividing our twosome back into one. I'm joined today by a guest who can help answer the question, should I stay or should I go? And if I'm going, how to survive with my sanity and bank account intact? Kate Anthony is a certified divorce coach and the host of the mega popular podcast, The Divorce Survival Guide, which the New York Times calls a must listen. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much, Katie. It's so nice to be here with you. I'm so excited to have you as a guest. And before we dive in, though, and talk uh, all things divorce, Mm -hmm. I would love if you could share a little bit about your uh, personal story, because you have an unusual one, right? Your early career was in acting. You had a 30-year career that ranged from being a child actor on Sesame Street to being uh, an adult actor on Grey's Anatomy. How did you pivot into divorce coaching and creating the Divorce Survival Guide? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, yeah, it sounds so glamorous, right? It but does sound not. glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> it does. To be friends with Oscar, it, the like, great, yeah, Oscar yeah, the Grouch and McDreamy. This is yeah, like, I mean, right? Cultural what was icons. I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I peaked early, I guess. No, oh, um, I, well, I mean, actually, it was be- it was really a product of my divorce because you know it, it's being an actor. Um, in New York or LA is not as glamorous as it sounds. Um, being on Grey's Anatomy was fabulous, but it's also not as glamorous or as lucrative as it sounds when you're not a series regular. And I recurred on the show for many, many years and it was wonderful. And I, and I just loved the experience of it. And, um, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a stable career, (laughs) let's just say, right? And so when I got divorced, I had been a stay-at-home mom for about five years. My son was three and a half, but I started, you know, I had lost my job before, you know, when I was pregnant. So it had been about five years and I was like, you know, looking at my future sure. <laughs> and thinking, what am I going to do? And the acting thing, I was just kind of done with it for a variety of reasons. I was raised in the theater, film and television really wasn't um, really doing much for my creative juices. Theater in LA is, it, it's fine, but it's, it, you know, it's not, not paying. And the auditioning and the driving with a three-year-old, like it made no sense. Um, I often say I, in the book that I'm writing, I say the, the, um, you know, cost benefit traffic analysis really didn't add up. And so I realized I needed to find something else. Right. And so many of us are reinvent ourselves after divorce. We have to, so many women, especially those of us who've been stay at home moms, you know, we're either restarting careers or we're starting again from scratch. And so that's what I did. I started from scratch and, people kept telling me that I should be a therapist. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go to school like that. 
Sure. That's another huge commitment. And a three and a half year old. I was like, how the hell am I going to go to graduate school? I mean, look, many people do it. My mother did it. My mom got her PhD when I was, you know, growing up, but like, you know, it's, and and because of that, I think I knew what that would take. And I was not willing or able um, constitutionally (laughs) to do that. Um, And then I had a friend, a very close um, family friend that I'd known my entire life. And she said, you know, Katie, I really think that you should be a coach. And I was like, well, what's that? And she she had gone to school and become a coach. And so I knew about it a little bit. And so I went for the first weekend of training and I was like, oh yes, this, this is it. Um, and I ended up studying coaching for the next three years. And I really did go into it wanting to help people get through their divorces in the best possible way for their children. And I, so I really geared my training towards that. So I did individual, I was certified as an individual coach. And then I went back to school and I studied more as a relationship systems coach, because that's really what all of this is. Um, That is so fascinating because I I didn't even, I know there's coaching, there's wonderful coaching organizations and there's like career coaching and there's, you know, financial coaching and life coaching. But I honestly didn't realize there was divorce coaching or relationship systems coaching. And I, I want to hear more about that. What is, what is relationships? I can't even say it. (laughs) I know it's hard. (laughs) Tell me, tell me about that. It was organization and relationship (laughs) systems coaching. It's really complicated. I mean, essentially what that is, is coaching for more than one person. So it's whether it's an organ in organizations, you know, you'll have, you'll have coaches go into organizations and sort of look at where the system is breaking down. I mean, systems coaching is based on systems theory. Um, So this is like family systems and constellations and you're looking at the, um, the, the organization or the relationship as its own entity. So essentially when two people enter into a relationship, they, they create this, what, what in, in this coaching modality, we call a, a third entity, right? So there's, you know, person A, person B, and then there's the relationship and what happens and what's the dynamic that is created when these two people come together. And that's completely separate from either one of them. Um, in my case, that was super, super toxic, <laughs> right? I'm not necessarily toxic. Like I'd never been toxic in any other relationship. Um, I cannot speak for my ex-husband. I can, but I won't. Um, <laughs> That's <fine>. but, <laughs> but our dynamic, when we were together, it was bad, right? And so that was, you know, that was our entity. And so the, the coaching that I um, work in is about sort of looking at all of the functions of the relationship and the dynamic that comes that happens when the two people come together. And then there are all these other factors in the system, right? So if you're looking at an organization, the system is is comprised of the you know the CEO down to the janitors, right? And and what does each member of the system sort of represent what role do they play? And there's inner roles and outer roles. There's, you know, their job titles, but then there's like the nurturer, then there's the complainer, there's the disruptor. There's in many cases, there's the abuser, right? And a system for a system to remain all of these established roles, they kind of, they kind of get established and they, they need to sort of remain 
in order for the system to remain. And so the system almost demands it. Um, And this is particularly useful when you're exiting a toxic relationship. What tends to happen is we tend to maintain those dynamics because the system of that relationship demands it. And I mean, so what does that mean? Like, what do so you nerdy. say it demands it? Like, is it? <laughs> so, no, I, this is so fascinating. And by the way, like my brain is literally whirring, like whirling right now. Cause I'm thinking of all of these, these systems. I mean, you were talking mm-hmm, about the, mm-hmm. the janitor and the CEO. I was like, I think like moms like have every title, <laughs> you know, they do. Right. And so what happens is there's this thing called, we call role nausea. Right. So if you, if you're a mom, right. If you're a stay at home mom, that may be your, like, you know, one of your roles, right. Maybe your outer role, one of your inner roles might be, um, the nurturer and the, you know, the caretaker. And sometimes we get really tired of being everyone else's nurturer and caretaker. And so we get this sort of role fatigue, right? Where we actually don't want that anymore. And we would like someone else in the system to take that on. And because the system doesn't work, if, if nobody, like in a family, if nobody is the nurturer and caretaker, there's a problem. But there's also a problem if only one person has it, has that role, right? Because it's exhausting. And so, you know, in a healthy relationship, you would go to your to someone else in the system, in the in the in the family, and you would say, hey, you know what? I'm I'm exhausted by carrying the burden of this role. Um, I need help. I need someone to help alleviate that. And in a healthy system, someone says, oh my God, yeah, I totally, I totally get that. I can see why that would be exhausting for you. Let me do my best to help you with that. Um, I don't want you to be tired. In an unhealthy system, in a more toxic system, the response would be quite different. Um, you know, and then this kind of exhaustion can lead to, you know, this is why 69% of divorces are initiated by women, by the so, way. So that is so fascinating and not remotely surprising. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can and see that too, you know, because women really do a lot of the managing of, um, even in a healthy system, yeah. women, I think, are, um, you know, bearing the lion's share of so many of the emotional decis- you know, decision-making and the you know, the, um, it's not even just doing all the work. It's doing a lot of the thinking about the work. And Uh I think even my own relationship, (laughs) which I think is, you know, pretty solid. My husband is more than happy to do work if I tell him. And I finally had to be like, I'm sick of telling you, figure Mm -hmm. it out. You know what I mean? Like that is not okay. Like, why do I know everything that needs to get done? And like, you're not my employee and I'm tired of being the boss. Like, you know, I want like a co-founder. So I love the way that you even organize this sort of thinking in ways that a lot of us can understand because we've all, for the most part, we've worked at some point. We, we're familiar with the concept of CEO and janitor and boss and you know underling and direct report and you know role sharing. But I don't think that we're typically um, cognizant of how those kinds of uh, dynamics come to play in a relationship because I think we're also sometimes like sold the big bull, you know, bill of goods by the media about like love mm-hmm. and marriage and how it all works. And 
you know, there's yes. nothing more surprised than a brand new mother where you're like, wait a minute, this is like hard. <laughs> you know, it's like, I have seen all of those movies and none of them look like this. You none know of I them, mean? right? Exactly. You're like, wait a minute. This is false advertising. Totally. I mean, really, right? Isn't that illegal? Yeah. That's what I said when I had my son. I was like, whoa, false advertising. I am not okay with this. <laughs> exactly. So you were sort of surprised. And, and, and mm -hmm. it's interesting to think about the family and the relationship the marriage being a system that that um, everybody, not everybody, like, well, the two people who are in it need to, it doesn't need to be, you know, it's obviously not always a man or women, it's two men, it's two women, it's, you know, mm -hmm. whoever it is, mm -hmm. but they have, to, they've created this sort of entity that they need to uh, be a part of. So, you know, when I looked at your website and when I did the deep dive into the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, which is just totally amazing, I saw that on your website that you actually also offer a coaching program which yes. is basically, should I stay or should I go? Which is so interesting. And I, what are those questions? Like, how do you, what are the key questions that, you know, let's let my audience is women that a woman needs yeah. to ask when she's trying to answer that question. Oh, it's, you know, I wish it was. Do we like, have all day? Here are these, I know, right, exactly. I was like, can we just go through the program? Um, because I wish it was like, answer these five questions, right? Sure. Because it's that's not what it's about. But I will say that my program is broken into three main categories um, or modules. And the first is, you know, we all we all come to this question wanting to blame the other person and wanting to, um, you know, be right, <laughs> make them wrong. Um, and, and that's that's fine. Um, to a degree, right? I'm sure he's wrong. I'm sure he is. Uh, <laughs> but that's not helpful, right? And so the first place that we need to look is inside. The first thing we have to do is do the really hard self-work. And there are a few reasons for this. The first is, given the stats that you were um, talking about earlier and the divorce rate going down, and I think the divorce rate has gone down a lot because... Um, I think the marriage rate is also going down a lot. No, totally. There's a lot. There's a, it, it doesn't mean it's all like sunshine and roses for marriage. It just means absolutely that there's not fewer marriages, and, and it's you know, and people are maybe not getting married. People maybe can't afford to get divorced. There's a whole host of reasons why people are not getting divorced that don't mean good things. But it's just I was surprised. Right. Because exactly. Growing up, I was always exactly. like I thought it was fifty percent, and it was like this is going down. Interesting. It is, and then in August. They did in August, I think, or June at the beginning of the pandemic, it spiked by 35%. <laughs> that is not surprising either. I mean, exactly. I, like, exactly. We were all like hanging on by our fingernails. And I feel exactly. that, um, you know, those kinds of stresses are the things that put big fissures into relationships. Yeah. So, so if we just take the, you know, the, the first, the, the general uh, statistics are first marriage is 50%. That's changing. That's great. Um, so the divorce for second marriages is 68%. Wow. And the divorce rate for third marriages is 74%. So what's the, what do you attribute that to? To people not looking at themselves. To people wanting to blame him, blame the other person and say, hey, you know, the other person was the problem. He or she was the problem. Um, so let me just get rid of him or her and then get a new one. And they're not looking deeply at what had them choose that other person in the first place, because that's the same picker. 
<laughs> that's right. picking again. Yeah, you're and just I getting like copy B of the same. You're getting jerk that you, exactly. You he's had in, the he's first time. He looks completely different. He's you know hotter. He got wears different <laughs> clothes, but he's the same guy. And so it's you know this is one of those things that you know if we this is why my program starts with the internal work. This is I why that the makes very- so much sense. Yes. So what, do you, what do you have to ask yourself? So, you know, because I wonder if it's, uh, well, go ahead, you tell me, what are you asking yourself to make sure that you're, you've done the work so that you're, you know, putting yourself in a better position to have a healthy, sustainable, yeah. you know, amazing relationship? Well, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, you've got to do the work on your, on getting in touch with your, with your inner critics and sort of healing those wounds. And like, where did that come from? You want to look at your attachment style. How did the, the way that you were raised have you, what, what is the direct line to this relationship that is now feeling unhealthy or toxic or that you just don't want anymore? Um, how, you know, it, it, and it, a lot of this is about sort of generational cycles of abuse or wounding or trauma, right? And so, you've got to look at those and you've got to heal them. So, the only way that you avoid doing this over and over and over again is through your own healing. So, that's sort of the first part. And it's a lot, by the way. That's <laughs> it's sounds, like, I'm sure it's it, hard. It's not a list of questions. It is deep, deep work. And, you know, it's a, co- it's an online coaching program. So there's only so much that I can, you know, help, pe- you know, work on with them, but there's a lot of information that I, ha- that I give people and a lot of um, tools to then, which I highly recommend people bring to therapy, you know, or to private coaching. That's so but it smart. really does give them the outline um, of, you know, and people learn a lot just by doing their attachment style quizzes. And was like, oh, oh, I'm an avoidant. I have an avoidant attachment style. That's why my husband is constantly feeling like we're not connected. I'm actually avoidant, <laughs> right? That's important information. And that can be worked on, right? Attachment styles are not um, rigid, so that is stuff that could be worked on, but that's important information to have. It's important to know what your love language is. Now, it's not important that you choose someone who has the same love language as you, but it's important that you're in a marriage with someone who cares enough about you to learn what your love language is and then show their love to you in a way that you receive it. And it's important that you care enough about your partner to do the same. So, if your partner's love language is physical touch, that means that I don't care if you don't like physical touch. He does. He feels love when you hold his hand. It's If you love him, it's your job to hold his hand, whether you think that is silly or not, right? That's the point of love languages. And people get this backwards and it makes me crazy. So, those are the... <laughs> Important things that you need to know. So then the second module we move into, so that's all the internal work. Then the second module we work, move more into the external. And that's where we have like really hard conversations about emotional abuse, um, what that looks like, what that feels like, um, what to do about it. It's where we talk about communication. It's where we um, 
gosh, what else do we do in that module? I can't even remember anymore. So quick um, question for you, Kate, about yeah. emotional abuse. So what about, yeah. you know, what about people who just also have, because I've seen a couple of friends go through this where it's more like atrophy than abuse. It's just more like the, the but is that yeah. considered to be a form of like emotional indifference? Is that, what is your take on that? No, I, that's different from abuse, right? So that's the kind of thing that if you if you call attention to it, you can change it because you care. There's a foundation of love, right? And if a marriage has gotten to a point where people are not are no longer being intentional with each other, you can redirect intention back to the places where it needs to be. In cases of emotional abuse. There, the foundation is control. It's not love. And that's so, not, is that fixable or no? Because you say on your website that you had a very contentious and volatile marriage. Mm-hmm. So this is not like a spoiler. It's you, you, you know, it's part of what you share on your your website. Mm-hmm. But that you had a really stellar divorce. So yes. how how you know explain like how one negative was able to become a positive, and how did you create that? So. The first thing was that once we stopped getting our, quote, emotional needs met, (laughs) we stopped trying so hard to get our emotional needs met from each other, it was really easy for us to let go. And, um, and, and just be, and show up for ourselves. We had a, we had a, um, an agreement and a commitment that we made in our very first um, mediation session in which we decided that everything that we did from there, from then on mm-hmm. forward was going to be in service of our child. And if it wasn't good for our son, it wouldn't happen. Even if it was good for me, sure. <laughs> right? And I wanted it. Um, you know, if it, was, if it wasn't the best thing for our son, it was off the table. And sure, there were a couple of times when like ego really got <laughs> in the way. I bet. And it's hard. Totally, totally. Um, and then you, you know, go and take a walk around the block and you're like, oh, shit. All right. <laughs> I guess I got to. All right. I guess I that's that's right. I have to give that one up because it's not best for my son. Um, so there's that. And then also the system thing came into play. And I hope he never hears this um, <laughs> because this is what, a show mostly listened to by 50 plus women. So yes. <laughs> so. so that's right. That's not going to be him or his wife. So yeah. he, um, so this is where that system thing comes in. So in, in the beginning stages of our divorce, it went great. We were best friends. We did all sorts of stuff together. It was super great. And like, you know, we were like the poster children for how to do divorce And then as time went on, I would notice that we would still have these emotional flare-ups. And there were many, many instances where he was still being emotionally abusive to me in the ways that we had, that, you know, that he had been during our marriage. And they were, um, they were, you know, fewer and farther between, but they were still happening. And I realized that I was still occupying the role of victim. So fascinating. Yeah. And that our sister and, you know, and I needed to vacate it. And that's how, you know, that was my power. My power was I actually get to vacate this role. I actually get to not be a victim anymore. And 
I I felt at the time. Was that hard though? Because it's it's so difficult mm-hmm. to change um, patterns. Oh yeah, yeah it was it- messy. It was messy and horrible. Gonna lie, it was messy and horrible. I, I, you know, look, I had been in a lot of therapy. I was already coaching at the time. Like things were, you know, I've done, you know, two decades at this point of of sort of self work. <laughs> so it's it's, you know, it's not easy, and it was messy as all get out. And I, but I, but I did it right. I had to just simply stop showing up. And I, and I actually severed ties with him for a bit. And did that distance give you the ability to like, just come back in a new format with your relationship? Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately what ended up happening, um, you know, when this started, I, I thought, well, all right. So the system will demand that there's another victim and he had just gotten engaged. And I thought, well, he will have to, if he's not abusing me anymore, he's going to have to start doing it to her. And unfortunately, from what I've heard, um, he has. And that's, that's her journey. And I am, you know, we're all very good friends. And so this is, a, this is actually a, a difficult conversation to sort of have, but, you know, we're all very, we're all very close. And, you know, I hear this third hand, I hear this from other family members and I'm like, I don't want to know about it. You know, Sure. that being said, they also have sort of outwardly a far better dynamic than we ever had. He, you know, they, they laugh. He seems to genuinely enjoy her, which he never seemed to do with me. (laughs) Like I never felt like he really liked me. Um, I think he genuinely likes her. And I think their household is full of like love and happiness and joy and all of those things, which is fantastic for our kids, right? There's like three kids in the mix here and it's amazing. Um, And also I have heard that this dynamic um, you know, is sh- showing up because he needs somewhere to put it and do his own work, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess we all do. Like so much of this but is we about all do. taking mm-hmm. agency over our own um, behaviors and our, our, like our mindset. I mean, hearing you talk, I was thinking about a moment that I had for myself in my own life where I felt like I really need to take agency over my own happiness. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not like sure. victimhood, but it's more about, you know, I, I have a loving relationship with a, a man that I adore that I've been with since I was a senior in college, but I, mm-hmm. you know, different points, I was requiring that like our happiness be like combined in some way. And finally yes. I was like, I am like totally in charge of, of how I want to be. And it wasn't a big thing, but it was, it, it was an evolution over time where I, I felt like I had the time and the bandwidth as my kids aged to really want like more for myself that was just mine you know, and that wasn't part of something that we shared. And yeah. that was interesting, you know, and it wasn't like a big, there was no like, dust up or anything, but it was just more like, hey, this is like what I need for myself. And and the fact that like you're busy doing your thing doesn't mean like I, I shouldn't be relying on you to help me. So I think, do you think this is something that people come to as they get older, no matter what it is, the system or the role that they play? Do you think mm-hmm. that people are better about uh, understanding how to create a new role or how to be who they need to be um, as they age? Or is it something that um, some people get like really quickly when they're younger? 
Because you work with a range of ages. I do. I mean, I don't think we, I don't think we tend to get this um, intuitively. And I think for all the reasons that you stated earlier, you know, this is, <laughs> you know, we we're started off with um, fairy tales of our Prince Charming coming to rescue us and make us happy and make us whole, right? Like we're actually passed out till we get a kiss, right? So like we literally come back to life because the man has kissed us. So the messaging that we have, that women especially, like, and, you know, and this, you know, we have all of these images and, and um, you know, uh, of like all of these stories of this sort of enmeshment, right? And we think that the other person is supposed to make us happy. And totally. I think, but I think that's changing. Cause I, you know, there's, um, I just saw Natalie Portman released a book and it's, I think it's like fairy tales for rebel girls. And the, yes. uh, my, my um, daughter uh, picked out a book for my niece at one point for her birthday. And it was like bedtime stories for rebel girls, or I may be mixing the two titles, but it's literally taking these narratives that we grew up with and, yep. and just like modernizing them in a way that is so needed and so perhaps this, this will be changing the way people think about um, marriage and, and the roles that, that, that we play. I'm curious, Kate, I want to hear your take on, on aging and divorce um, around 50, because, you know, I do know that marriages do sometimes fall apart when kids leave the nest and, and um, you know, maybe it's run its course because people, they've been together for a while and they don't see, um, you know, it's that 69% of women that you were saying that are like, hey, I want something new in the next act. But for women who are really afraid of that, you know, what's getting in the way? Is it fear about mm. money? Is it fear about like telling your kids? Is it just yeah. inertia? What do you think is, what's an obstacle? I think the top three is finan finances, kids, and fear of being alone. We're so women. I are want so, to be alone. I know. <laughs> That's because you're, you're not. That's because you're not. I am sheltering in place with all five of my family members and our COVID puppy for a year. Oh my gosh! Exactly. To be alone sounds so exotic. It doesn't. It sound exotic? But like, I think so many women suffer from this, you know, codependency where they they really do derive their happiness from other people. Um, and their self-worth from the attention of a man, whether it's positive or negative. And so, so many women come to me and say, you know, but what if I, what if I'm alone for the rest of my life? And I'm like, what if? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> you know, like you may be, you may not be, you know, look, I'm 50. I've been divorced for 12 years and I'm single. I am fine. Like fine. I'm super happy. I've been in a couple of great relationships since I, my divorce. I've had some long-term relationships. I've had a couple short ones that, you know, I've had some really short ones. Um, but <laughs> those weren't, I wouldn't categorize those as relationships, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and so I have, but I'm, but I'm me and I'm happy. I am fulfilled on my own as a human. And if I meet someone who thinks that's awesome and I think they're awesome and we can come together and make something even more awesome together as individuals, then like rock on. But if I don't, 
I'm fine. Sure. I'm like, you know, I'm sex starved and, you know, as we all, well, as most single people are during the pandemic, we're sex starved and we're lonely, you know, sure. There's times of loneliness, but, but I think it's not a lonely, desperate loneliness. People can be lonely in relationships too. Oh, hell yes. I, was, I am never as lonely now as I was in my marriage. Yeah, and that's such a powerful statement about how you... So I'm curious. I want to know, so if, if um, for women who are listening, you know, who maybe, you know, we've already sort of covered like questions to ask yourself and work to do mm-hmm. as you consider whether or not you're getting a divorce, um, you know, starting with some inner work and then, you know, um, figuring out how you're not going to, you know, you know replicate these things. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you recover? Because I, I feel that um, transitions are hard. I mean, we've all experienced that this past year because our lives changed overnight and it was so dislocating uh, on, in every fabric. And so, you know, the, a divorce is like that. It's a big dislocation in an mm-hmm. absolute like, you know, 180 from the way you were living your life. What coaching would you give to women if you had to have them focus on one to two things, you know, besides the self-work, what are one to two things that make a difference in navigating a divorce successfully in those first few months? Uh, the first thing is, community and the support of other people. Um, And that unfortunately might change. That may not be your current community. So there's a wonderful community on Instagram and Facebook called Divorce Over 40. Um, And they are, they're becoming national. It was just like a group of divorced friends who um, started meeting up together in, uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they've created this national movement because it's not about dating. It's about finding your people during as you're going through divorce and people who get it. So I highly recommend that. That is the, that is the most important thing. Um, and it can be really devastating to realize that your people are not the people you thought they were. Um, and that's, the, that's one of the hardest parts about divorce is that losing friends and family members that you thought had your back, but they turn on you. It's never about you. It's always about what they're going through. Often, you know, you're, you're holding a mirror up to people, uh, to their relationships and they don't want to look in it. So, um, that's super common. So, okay. So community, that's like the, the, I think that is the the most important. Um, and another thing about that's not self-care that's something You know what you'd mentioned also that one of the big concerns that keeps people where they are and prevents Mm -hmm. them from getting a divorce is kids. So what would be your one to two tips to make sure your kids get through this change? Yeah. Uh, Feeling loved and supported and not anxious. Uh, Yes. One of the most important things you can do is do everything you can to stay out of the litigation system in the U.S. A lot of people tell you, you know, the first thing you need to do when you get divorced is lawyer up. And that is probably the last thing you should do. I mean, it is actually the last thing you should do. (laughs) Um, I've seen friends go through that. I agree. Yeah. So as soon as you lawyer up, they start preparing for trial and litigation and it becomes contentious. The, the, the definition of, div, of the divorce of divorce law is like this, you know, ad, is adversarial. So you want to try and stay out of court as, as much as possible. The most important thing you want to do is put your kids at the center and not in the middle of every choice that you make. So, so define that. What do you mean by center, but not middle? Well, if they're in the middle, you're fighting over them, right? If in the, if they're in the middle, it's, you know, no, I want him on Tuesday. No, I want him on Tuesday. No, I get him Christmas Eve. No, I get, you know, it's that push and pull. 
um, or pull and pull. If you're putting them in the center, it's what would what would be best? How what would the best way for us to spend Christmas in service of our child be? How Love would that. he want Christmas to be? Not what do I want, right? Because most of the time when you're fighting about this stuff, it's because you're trying to win. You're trying to win a battle against or over your ex. But if you come at it from a place of love of your child and like what's best for them, your ego needs to go away. And it often will. It'll often like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sure it gets a little (laughs) bit easier with distance too, because even, you know, when Mm -hmm. I think about like, you know, fights that I've had with my own husband, like sort of like some knockdown drag outs, it's like eventually like time passes and you're like, what were you arguing about? Like you've completely forgotten. And if you do get this distance and move away from them, I bet, you know, it's a little bit easier assuming that you do the work and and you Mm -hmm. you change your own response systems because that, you know, at the end of the day, we can only control our actions and our, our reactions to things. And that's exactly. like, that, that is literally all you can control. And I think that is like the bumper sticker we all need to be, you know, living our lives with. And it's, it's hard. It's hard because sometimes we do want it. Like, you know, as a parent, you want to control your kids and you want to shape and guide them. And, yeah. you know, uh, you know, as, 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 you know, a spouse or a partner, sometimes you really, you do have a different vision. So that's yeah. really tricky. Okay, you've I shared like so many amazing things. I, I just want to ask you though, like what, you know, if, if somebody was um, going through this divorce right now and wanting to come out on the other side, um, you know, have you seen that, that, that happen? Like, do you, you know, what are the structures in place to have a second, um, second chapter? Well, I think, you know, doing all the work that we've been talking about is really, I think, is, the, is, is one of the most important and helpful. And, I, you know, and, and sort of going back to your other point, which actually feeds this point, <laughs> which is <laughs> like, heal this stuff. So much of the fighting and the aggression that happens in divorce is because you're not actually letting go of that relationship, right? Like it's now, um, it's, it's negative intimacy, right? So, you're fighting in court, so you're still connected, right? Like, so you're not letting go of the relationship. Yeah, you're fueling on the drama. I mean, I remember this, I can't remember this quote, but it was something about how, like, when you hold on to, like, a hot lump of, like, anger, the only person you're burning is yourself, you know, to just really let go, because you feel like, well, you're wrong, but, you know, so what? You know, at the end of the day, like, you have to say that's, that's okay. Like, you know, yes, they can be wrong, and you need to move on, you know. And are you willing to let, but are you willing to let go? Because you're not just letting go of that coal, you know, that hot lump of coal, you're also letting go of him. Are you ready and willing to actually let him go? Because sometimes the fighting is the thing that keeps you connected. It's a toxic connection. But if you're getting divorced, by all means, please get divorced. And that means emotionally as well as legally. That's such great advice. Oh my gosh. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to leave it there, but I do want to ask you before we wrap up, you have uh, Kate's uh, website and as a, as a wealth of information, her Instagram's insane. She shares fantastic tips on it. Um, the podcast is amazing, but I do want to ask, you know, what is one sort of tool or resource that, you know, every time you hear somebody's getting divorced, you think to yourself, like, I really wish this person, you know, knew about X because it could make their journey easier. Is there something like that? Yeah, I mean, the one thing is don't lawyer up. <laughs> you know, 
good. I really wish that everybody knew that mediation is an option even for people in high conflict uh, divorces. And that you want to find a really good mediator because mediators are not um, all created equal, like the coaching industry. It's not regulated. So um, I would say follow my friend Susan Guthrie on um, on Instagram, and she's an amazing resource. She trains mediators, and know that there are options there out out there for you, and that litigation is like it's like toxic. It's pouring toxic fuel on your your relationship and your future and your finances. I was going to say, it's like lighting your money on fire and like yeah. throwing it into the toilet. <laughs> so we don't want that. So I will link to your friend in the show notes and I will link Great. to all of your stuff too. But tell our listeners before we say goodbye where they can find you and keep following the Divorce um, Survival Podcast. So, yep. So my podcast, the Divorce Survival Guide Podcast is on all of the all of the places I, everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, I am the Divorce Survival Guide on Instagram. My website is kateanthony.com. And I have a really great Facebook group, um, a Should I Stay or Should I Go Facebook group in on, on Facebook, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes you still have to say it twice. You know, it's we're moms. It's, you know, like, right, it's exactly. not always that obvious. It's, it's on Facebook, you guys. <laughs> and um, it's great. I'm in there all the time. It is not your average divorce Facebook group where people bash their husbands and are really bitter and nasty. It is supportive and educational. Uh, and I'm in there all the time. So that's another great place. Um, and those are all my free, like that's I have so many free resources for you to learn um, in my world. Fabulous. Kate, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Katie. I so appreciate it. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. If you enjoyed the show, please head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to rate and review the show. And come keep me company over on Instagram at A Certain Age Pod. Do not make me hang out there alone. I love your company and your comments. And I hope you'll join me next week as I sit down with journalist and writer Leslie Gray Streeter. Leslie is the author of the laugh out loud, funny and tender memoir, Black Widow, about the heartbreak and absurdity of unexpectedly becoming a young widow. We talk picking yourself up off the floor when life knocks you down. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.